It's good to have a servant of the Lord that's served for a long time, 46 years. In how many churches? Uh, three have been planting, brother. Three. Three churches. Three churches he's planted up there in, in Queensland. And because he's been supported the way he has, he's been able to move from one to another. And he's just handed the church over in Mackay to David Onus, who was ordained last year there up in the Tablelands. And so it's a blessing to have a servant of the Lord that loves the word of God and shoots straight with a rifle, not a shotgun. <laughs> and uh, <clears throat> just wants to serve and honour the Lord. And I... I do you know this lady down here? Carol Chris. Yes, I know Carol Chris too, right. <laughs> yes. Okay. It's been a long time, mate, since you've seen me. I mean, I've seen her. <laughs> so, yeah, it's, uh, I thought I'd point that out before you started. And... Well, amen. <laughs> Praise the Lord. You come up and share the word, open the word. And Thanks, brother. My goodness, there's been a lot of water going under the bridge, sister, hasn't there, eh? A lot of those have been floods too, eh? <laughs> Who was laughing at me saying, eh? <laughs> eh? Hey? Man, I tell you, that's a part of our, that's a part of our vocabulary. That's right. Yeah, that's a part of our vocabulary up there. It's good to be with you uh, today. We've certainly enjoyed the time of fellowship here uh, Wednesday night with the kids on Friday. It's great. And with the fellows yesterday morning down there having prayer, and also good to be here this morning. I don't know about you, but I had fun in Sunday school, amen? All right. It ought to be fun. You know, we ought to get excited about the Word of God. Too right, mate. We need to get excited about the Word of God. And I don't mean like charismatic type. I mean, we need to have an excitement within our heart about God's Word. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your son and thank you for your word. Bless our time in your word this morning. Perchance there's someone here that does not know you. I pray that this might be the day that they would come to know you and be saved and walk out of here with the assurance of salvation. We ask our Father you'd speak to any that may be discouraged this morning and that they would be encouraged. For those who may be backslidden, I pray the Spirit of God would arrest them today. We ask, Lord, for a great moving of spirit among the uh, hearts and minds of people today in Jesus name amen well you saw the title there on what do you call that thing uh, the program order of service bulletin uh, the title was they didn't believe what he said and you know it goes right back to uh, the beginning of time turn in your Bibles firstly to Acts 27 that's a good place to launch out from and let me show you something here from Acts chapter 27 now, I don't think we'll get uh, from Genesis to Revelation today. <clears throat> but anyway, we'll go as far as we can. Acts chapter 27. So I get a bit long-winded sometimes, and so I've got to fit a lot in in my time slot. I told Brother Gavin, I went to preach in a church in Raleigh, North Carolina. Dr. Harold Carey was a sweet old preacher. And I was 31. And he said, now, young fella, he said, when you get in my pulpit, I want you to know one thing. I said, yes, sir, what's that? He said, if I don't strike oil after half an hour, he said, I quit boring. <laughs> I think that was a subtle hint and I got it. Yeah, so that's why I try to cram as much as I can in in half an hour. 
All right, Acts 27, verse 21. Let's look at that. We've already prayed, so let's get stuck amongst it. So, But after long abstinence, Paul stood forth in the midst of them and said, Sirs, you should have hearkened unto me and have not loosed from Crete and to have gained this harm and loss. Now, Paul was travelling across the Mediterranean. He's on his way to Rome to appeal uh, to Caesar. And on his way, he says, you know, as you look back further in this, I don't think we should venture out there. There's going to be disaster. There's going to be a storm. And, you know, they say, well, what would you know? You're only a preacher, you know. How would you know that? Well, he's in touch with God, see. I said, you know, this guy that uh, runs this ship, he knows more than you. He's travelled these waters many years. That's the Hong version. And uh, so we're going to listen to him. We're not going to listen to you, Paul said. Okay, help yourself. So they launch out there. And, of course, as they were launching out there, trouble came just like Paul had warned them, just like preachers warn people and they don't listen. So after a long absence, he stood up and he said, you know, you should have listened. You should have hearkened uh, to me and not have loosed from Crete and to suffer this harm and loss. He says, and now I exhort you, be of good cheer, for there shall be no loss of any man's life but of the ship. We're going to lose the ship. No point even saving it, trying to save it. We're going to lose the ship. And uh, he says, For there stood by me this night the angel of God, whose I am and who I serve, saying, Fear not, Paul, thou must be brought before Caesar, and lo, God hath given thee all them that sail with thee. Wherefore, sirs, be of good cheer. Watch this. For I believe God that it shall be even as it was told me. You know, the Apostle Paul said, you know, you didn't believe what I said before. And he said, you should have listened to what I said before, but you didn't. But now God's given you a second chance. God stood beside me and said, you know what? They better listen this time. And so he said, I believe it's going to be even as it was told me. And, you know, that's the theme right throughout the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. It's going to be exactly like God said it's going to be. Genesis 2, please. It's going to be exactly like God said. See, God doesn't have a plan B. I don't know if you ever heard that, and I didn't make that up. I didn't think about that, or I didn't think of, think of that. God doesn't have a plan B. To have a plan B would to say, well, God's thinking about he's going to fail, so he's got to have a plan B. God does not fail. Genesis chapter 2, verse uh, 7 and the Lord God formed the man out of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. Now, so God has created man. And so he put man in the midst of the garden, verse 16. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof, and I want you to get this, Thou shalt surely die. Did you get that? What did God tell him? Thou shalt surely die. Well, lo and behold, Eve's in the garden. And who should come along but the old serpent, the dragon and Satan, as he's known in the book of Revelation. And so while Eve's there in the garden, verse 4, the serpent said unto the woman, you shall not surely die. God said thou shalt surely die. The devil said thou shalt not surely die. And so the devil contradicted God. And so Adam and Eve, who did they believe? They didn't believe God. 
They didn't believe what he said, but I'll tell you what, they believed the devil. And you know, ever since that time, people would rather believe the devil than believe what God says in his word. And let me tell you something, the Bible says the devil is a liar. He doesn't know what truth is. Oh yes, he does, but he doesn't like it. There's no truth in him, the Bible says. He is a liar. And so right from the very outset, you know, today, in the 21st century, people are still believing a lie rather than the truth. Adam and Eve felt for it. They believed the devil rather than God. So they didn't believe what God said there in the Garden of Eden. They believed the devil instead. And then, of course, we jump on down a little bit to Genesis chapter 6. And there was a fellow called Noah. And uh, Noah and his family were in the minority. I mean, there was only eight of them, right? Noah and his wife, three sons and three wives. So there's only eight of them. And the whole world is in corruption, mate. Totally away from God. Perverted and corrupted God's way upon the earth. You know, it's like that today, isn't it? Hmm. What did Jesus say? There we go again. As it was in the days of Noah, so shall it also be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. We were preaching that 40 years ago, brother, weren't we? Amen. A bit different now, isn't it? There's a lot more added to it. As it was in the days of Lot. You know, we were preaching way back then. As it was in the days of Lot. 40 years we're going, yeah, we're in those days right now. But whoever thought a male would want to marry a male and a female would want to marry a female. That has developed, mate. We can say, we know we're in the days of Noah. We know that we're in the days of Lot because I tell you what, a lot more has been fulfilled in those two prophecies how do you know the bible's true we see pre-written history being fulfilled in our lifetime and so thank god for that but in noah's day they had corrupted god's way upon the earth genesis chapter 6 and verse 5 god looked down and god was grieved with his creation because they had perverted and corrupted his way upon the earth and you know today we have perverted god's way upon the earth like i said in sunday school this morning australia used to be a place where we feared god place where we believed in God and where I was raised as a boy up the road here in the New England district way back then when I was a kid if you took the Lord's name in vain in the pub they grabbed you by the seat of the pants and the scruff of the neck and they kicked you out we don't want you saying that sort of stuff in here those days are gone you know we're living in the days the last days just like the scripture says but in Noah's day God said I'm going to destroy man from off the face of the earth I want you to build an ark for the saving of your household and the animals that I want you to put into that ark or I will put in the ark. So Noah started to build that ark. In Genesis 6-5, God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth. Hey, it's that way today. And the imagination of the thoughts of his heart is only evil continually. Think about it. Look at the advertising uh, on the billboards as you travel. Uh, double meaning, shady meanings. We know what they're talking about and they're trying to get their point across in an immoral way. And so only evil continually. And so God says, I'm going to destroy man from off the face of the earth in verse 7, verse 8, but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. We may be in the minority in this day and age, but I tell you what, Noah was in a smaller minority. And let me say this also for anybody that's listening. As you read the Bible... From cover to cover, the majority is always wrong. The majority is never always right. And as you read the book here, in uh, Noah's day, the majority was in the wrong. Noah was in the right because, I tell you what, he was on the right side. And so he was on God's side, God's was on his side. And so Noah set to work to build that ark. 
so long, so wide, so high, three storeys, one door, one window, and he plugged away and plugged away building that ark. And you know the Bible says there were mockers and scoffers in those days, so they made fun of Noah. They questioned this building of this ark. What's this ark for, Noah? Well, God's going to send a flood. What's a flood, Noah? You know, I don't know what a flood is. I've never seen a flood. It's, God's going to make it rain. What's rain, Noah? Well, I don't know what rain is. It's never rained on the earth. Huh. So you're going to build this boat for You don't know anything about it, but you're just going to build it? Yeah, I'm going to build it. The Bible says that Noah was a preacher of righteousness. Peter tells us he was a preacher of righteousness. I mean, he preached against the wrong and said, you know, judgment day is coming. And I'll tell you what, you better believe what he said. But Noah continued to preach, but they didn't believe what he said. They made fun of Noah, so he plugged away. The Lord Jesus said that they were disobedient in the days of Noah. So he plugged away over a hundred years. By the time he'd got finished, mate, God said, okay, time to come in the ark. The animals were on board, so God said, come down into the ark. God shut the door. Read it, Genesis. Well, day one went by, nothing happened. Day two went by, nothing happened. The crowd's probably amassing outside. Where's the flood, Noah? Where's the judgment of God, Noah? Where's the rain, Noah? Mocking and scoffing and making fun. They didn't believe what he said. They didn't believe God. They didn't believe Noah. But, you know, Noah believed God. And he plugged away doing what God said. Then all of a sudden, the day came. And the bowels of the earth began to shake and they burst open. The windows of heaven were open. The water poured down. Terror was struck into the hearts of those people, just like it will be there in the book of Revelation. They will call on the rocks and the mountains to fall on them because they will know it's the judgment of Almighty God. They didn't believe what Noah said. They didn't believe what God said. But imagine this. The water starts to rise. The rain begins to fall. All of a sudden, terror is struck into the hearts. Let us into the ark. Oh, we believe. It's too late. You had your chance. You should have done it while you had the chance. We witness to people and we tell them, you know, the Lord Jesus Christ came and died for your sins. Put on a cross and suffered for you so you can have eternal life. I don't believe that stuff. My friend, the instant you die, you'll know it's true, but it'll be too late then. You better get on board while you still can. You better repent of your sin and trust the Lord Jesus Christ while you are alive. I think also of Joseph. I told the kids a little bit about this Friday night. Joseph was a young man, 17. He walked with God. He feared God. He did what his father said and his brother. Yeah, he's always he never does anything wrong. Yeah. They hated Joseph. They were jealous of Joseph. His father loved him. Why did his father love him? Well, he was a young man, but I'll tell you what, he did what his father told him to do. What about the other brothers? Now, uh, they were a bunch of rat bags. <laughs> Seriously. I mean, when he's instructing them what they're supposed to do, they're off doing their own thing. He sends Joseph, go find your brothers. Uh, guess what? They're not where they're supposed to be. When he does find him, here he comes, look, the dreamer. Let's get rid of him. You know, Joseph had already told those boys the day is coming that uh, you will actually bow and pay homage to me. You know what they thought? <laughs> That's never going to happen. We're not going to let it happen. We're going to prevent that from happening. We're going to get rid of you. Cut a long story short, he was sold as a slave into Egypt at the age of 17. 
He didn't say, oh, well, well, where was God when this was happening? He didn't throw God out the door and say, well, that's it. I'm giving up. He continued to walk with God, continued to serve God and fear God, and Potiphar saw that the Lord was with him. Potiphar trusted this young Hebrew and put everything that he had into the care of Joseph. You take care of it all. I don't want the problem. It's yours. All I need to worry about is what I've got to eat. You read it yourself. But of course, you know, Mrs. Potiphar, she took a liking to Joseph. But Joseph didn't take a liking to her and he wouldn't cooperate with her. Long story short, she had him thrown in jail because he wouldn't do the wrong thing with her. Why? Because he was going to do the right thing because he loved God. And of course, same thing happened. In the, he was thrown into jail. The jailer saw that, you know, he was a young man that walked with God. God was with him. He also promoted Joseph and God blessed Joseph. And then, of course, the two uh, employees of Pharaoh were thrown in the clink with Joseph. And, of course, like Martin Luther King, I have a dream. <laughs> so Joseph said, well, tell me what your dream is. Well, I dreamt this about three things here. And the other guy said, yeah, I had a dream two, three things here. Well, Joseph says, I've I got good news for you. The good news is three days you're going to be released. Pharaoh's going to restore you to your former position. Guess what? You're going to be released in three days too. <laughs> it's curtains you, mate. You're going to get the chop. You're a dead man. Pharaoh's going to release you from prison, but he's going to execute you. But don't forget me when you get out of here. Remember me back here. Well, one of them's not going to remember because he's going to be dead. D-E-D, I say in D-E-D in three days. And so all of a sudden... Pharaoh has a dream. And Joseph's still locked down there in the prison. And Joseph's now 30 years of age. So he was 17 and 13 years have gone by. Now he's 30. And so when Pharaoh has this dream, no one can help him out. None of his crowd can help him out. But, you know, one of the guys that was in jail with Joseph said, you know, to Pharaoh, there's a Hebrew down there that told us about our dreams. And everything he told us came true. You know what we read in Acts? I believe it's going to be exactly like God said. And it be, uh, became a reality that this guy said, you know, what he told me was absolutely fulfilled. And Pharaoh said, you know, we need to get that fellow up here and have a talk to him and see what he's got to say about this. And Pharaoh got him up there. They shaved him and they bathed him and they clothed him in new clothes. Mate, he was like a new penny when he came before Pharaoh, 30 years of age. And Pharaoh says, this is what I dreamed. Well, again, to cut the long story short, Joseph said, this is what God is trying to show you. You're going to have seven years of plenty, great production, good crops. But on the other hand, you're going to have seven years of famine, drought, tough times. And Joseph said, you need to prepare for those seven years of plenty and then also for those seven years of drought. Pharaoh said, you know what, you seem to be the young fella that's got the answers and they're coming from God. He says, I'll tell you what, we're going to put you in charge of the country. You're going to be the governor under me. No one's going to be more powerful in this country than me. You're going to be 2IC, that means second in charge. And then, of course, seven years have gone by. So Joseph's now, what, 37? And we get into the, the hard times, the, the, what, the next seven years. I don't know how old Joseph is, maybe... It's two years, the famine's gone, uh, uh, maybe three years, maybe it's only one year. So Joseph, we know, is at least 37 years. Uh, year one into the bad times, he's 38. Year two, he's 39. 
All of a sudden, Joseph's brothers arrive on the scene, sent down by uh, their father to buy stuff off uh, uh, Egypt to bring home because of the tough times. And the brothers come in, and uh, guess what? They brought in before the governor, and what did they do? <laughs> Going to be exactly like God said. They didn't believe what he said. They made fun of Joseph. But I tell you what, when Joseph was sold into um, Egypt at 17, they thought it was all over. But it wasn't all over. God doesn't always fulfill everything the next day or the next year. Sometimes it might be 10 years, 20 years, 30 years. How old is Joseph now? He's at least 37 plus. So it's been over 20 years since those brothers sold him into slavery. They don't know him, but he knows them. See, he understands them, but they don't understand him. Why he talks like an Egyptian, walks like an Egyptian, dresses like an Egyptian. And they're puzzled. How does he know all about us? Hello, I'm the one that told you this was going to happen. And so God fulfills his word. But you know, those brothers didn't believe what he said. And you know, when Pharaoh, Moses said to, God said to Moses, I want you to go into Egypt now and tell Pharaoh to let my people go. And if he doesn't let them go... I'm going to deal with him. I'm going to kill his son. <laughs> so after a little bit of argy-bargy with the Lord, Moses said, okay, I'll go. So he heads on down to Egypt and he says to Pharaoh, God says you've got to let the people go. The Lord says you've got to let the people go. And he says, well, who is the Lord that I should obey him? I know not the Lord. So we know all of this that time after time, God is revealing to Pharaoh, you need to let my people go, there's going to be more of this. But they didn't believe what he said. They didn't believe what he said. So Pharaoh just continues on, judgment after judgment. Call a preacher in, tell him to get, call, call God off. You know, we'll give in, we'll let the people go. How many times did Pharaoh say, I have sinned? You know, but anyway. Pharaoh didn't believe what Moses said because he didn't believe what God said until the night of the Passover when, you know, uh, there was death in the land and Pharaoh's son died, just like God said. What does it take to get a person's attention? I tell you what, that got Pharaoh's attention. He said, let him go, get him out of here. But then, of course, like a double-minded man, unstable in all of his ways, after he'd done that, he says, what have I done? You know, we've got rid of all of our slaves, all of our employment force. But Pharaoh didn't believe what God said. But God did exactly what he said he was going to do. And that's the way it is. Uh, throughout the scriptures, there are so many instances uh, followed through with the children of Israel there in the wilderness. You know, they were promised to go into the promised land, the land of Canaan. And you know what? Because of their disobedience. God said, we can go in there, we'll cross the Jordan, we'll go in there. But they didn't believe what he said. He said, 12 spies into Canaan. You know that song? 12 men went to, went to spy out Canaan. You know that song? Yeah, Ten were bad and two were good. Who knows that song? That's a good song. 12 came back. 10 of them said, nah. The job's too hard. The giants are too big. We can't do it. They didn't believe what God said. God said, we can take this land. We'll go over this Jordan. You're just going to get the lay out of the land and we'll conquer it. But they didn't believe what God said. One generation turned another generation completely against God. And not only that in so doing, God said, okay, 40 days those spies were away. And God said, I'll tell you what, 
I'm going to make you mark time here in this wilderness. I'm not going to let you go into the land of Canaan. I'm not going to let you go back to Egypt. But when you're all dead and out of the way, you first generation, then we can move. From the age of 20 and up, you know, when it's all over and you're dead and gone, then we can move. See that? But you know, the second generation, we'll look at that a little bit later on this afternoon, that next generation had to wait 40 years to inherit the promise. You know, the Greenies and that, they're all worried about this generation and how we're hurting the next generation with a load of rubbish. But when you think about the children of Israel, they robbed their children of the land of Canaan for 40 years. If they just obeyed God and believed what God said and what Moses said and what Joshua said. Where's Joshua? Is he in here this morning? He was here Wednesday night. Where's Caleb? Is he here this morning too? There he is over there. Oh, we've got them both here this morning. Okay, I'm glad you guys are here. But Joshua and Caleb said, Whoa, hang on a minute. We can go in there. We've got God on our side. We can take this land. But you see, they didn't believe what Joshua and Caleb said either. And so they were kept out of the land till one by one they all dropped dead. And when that generation was gone, there's only two of the original generation that were left. Guess who they were? Joshua and Caleb. So they led the children of Israel into the land. So, the, you know, there's a price to pay for unbelief. So the children of Israel finally got to go into the land after 40 years. With Joseph, well, I tell you what, it was over 20 years before it was fulfilled. With the children of Israel, it's going to be over 40 years till they can get into the promised land. But God fulfills his word. You can guarantee it's going to be exactly like God says. What time do we finish, brother? 12.10. 12, okay. 12, 10. 12, 10. 12, 10. 12, 10. <laughs> 20. Now I told you the other night, what I say, there's three sorts of people. Do you remember me saying that? Three sorts of people, right? Those who can count and those who can't. <laughs> All right, let's move on. All right. Down in the days of Jeremiah and the prophets. Oh, look. Let me show you something here. Turn to the first chapter of Je Jeremiah. I love this. Oh, if turn to the first chapter of Isaiah quickly. I'll show you that first. This is not going to be a long sermon. Have a look at chapter 1, verse 1. The vision of Isaiah, the son of Amos, which he saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, Hezekiah, kings of Judah. Four kings, one prophet. Read the book of Kings. I'll tell you what, some of them had a short stint, some of them had a long stint. But I'll tell you what, Isaiah outlived four of them. There were four kings in the days of Jeremiah. Hello. So the man of God must have been on the right side. Look at uh, Jeremiah 1. Jump on down a little bit with me, find the right place here. It says, the words of Jeremiah, verse chapter 1, verse 1, the son of Hilkiah, of the priests that were in Anathoth in the land of Benjamin, to whom the word of the Lord came in the days of Josiah, son of Ammon, king of Judah, in the thirteenth year of his reign. It came also in the days of Jehoiakim, son of Josiah, king of Judah, unto the end of the eleventh year of Zedekiah, the son of Josiah. You know what? Jeremiah outlived a few kings too. So what was the word? God's saying to his people, you know, you have not listened to me, you have not believed me, and I've sent, time after time I've sent prophets, and you killed them, you didn't believe them, and I sent more and more, and you didn't believe them, 
And so these men are telling you now, judgment day's coming. See, I've had enough of all the stuff you've been going on for decades, for a couple of centuries. He said, I'm going to send the Chaldeans from over in Babylon. They're going to come and they're going to punish you. Ha, we don't believe that. Why didn't they believe that? Because there was a crowd called the false prophets. And they contradicted what Jeremiah said. They contradicted what Isaiah said. And so they were saying, I don't believe Jeremiah. I mean, he's just a prophet of doom and gloom. He never tells you anything good. He's nothing positive. He's all negative. All about the judgment of God. So the people listened to the false prophets. After all, they were in the majority. The majority is always wrong. So then, of course, all of a sudden, the Chaldeans arrived. And the false prophet said, you know, they're not going to come. But they came. So Jeremiah prophesied and said, you know what? They're going to besiege this place for two years. So what did the false prophet say? Nah, don't listen to him. He doesn't know what he's talking about. They just came to have a look. But they stayed. First time, the people did not turn on the false prophet and say, oh, you got it wrong. No, they continued to believe a lie. Second time. When the Chaldeans are there outside the walls and Jeremiah said they're going to be here for two years, they didn't say to the false prophets, you got it wrong. They continued to follow the light. Mm. And Jeremiah said, you know what, they're going to come over the walls. Mm. And you know what, there's going to be a massacre. What did the false prophets say? That's not going to happen. But you know what, Jeremiah said, you know, if you surrender, go out there, that massacre's not going to happen. But you know, they didn't believe what he said. Finally, we know that Nebuchadnezzar raided the joint, invaded the joint, conquered the joint, and it happened exactly like God said. They didn't believe what he said. They didn't believe what God said. They didn't believe what Jeremiah said. But you know what? It happened exactly like God said. You know, it even got so bad, they were told, it's going to get so bad, you're going to get besieged in here, you won't be able to get out, you won't be able to get in, and you'll get so hungry, there'll be no water, there'll be no food, you'll even start eating your own children. Read it. It says it. And you know what? Did it change their hearts? Did they believe? No. They continued on in their own evil, wicked ways. And I tell you what, they paid the price because of their unbelief. And it's still the same today. You can tell people what the Bible says, and they still won't believe what God says in his word. One day in school, this boy said to me, he said, Mr. Hong. I said, yes, sir. He said, my dad doesn't believe in anything he can't see. Because we were teaching them about the Lord, about the Word of God, and how the Word of God can be trusted and how accurate and true it is. Well, my dad says he doesn't believe in anything he can't see. I said, okay. I said, what about you? No, I don't believe in anything I can't see. I said, all right. I said, have you ever seen the wind? He said, well, no. I said, it doesn't exist. He said, yes, it does. I said, well, hang on, you said it didn't. You said, you don't believe in anything you can't see. Jeremiah, you know? He preached the word of God and people didn't believe. Jesus said to Nicodemus, he talked about what? The wind. You know, you hear the sound thereof, you don't know from whence it's coming, where it's going. So I said to this boy, you've never seen the wind. He said, no. I said, it doesn't exist. He said, oh, yes, it does. I said, you said it didn't. Okay. So what about a smell? Oh, that aroma. You ever smell a rose? He said, yes. I said, there's no such thing as a smell. I said, because you can't see it. Have you ever seen a sound? Da -da, da -da. He says, no. So it's all imagination. It doesn't exist. Because it's invisible. So we went on and on and on about electricity. I said, do you believe electricity? Yeah. 
I said, but you can't see it. I said, it's invisible. And guess what? It's generated by a force called magnetism. Generators, alternators, and all that stuff. Fields breaking magnets and generating electricity. Magnetism. I said, do you believe in magnetism? Well, he said, I've seen magnets. I asked, have you ever seen the force of a magnet? He said, what do you mean? I said, well, there's an invisible force in a magnet you cannot see. So I put a magnet on a piece of paper with a paper clip. I said, guess what? Move that magnet and that paper clip follows the magnet. Why is that? There's an invisible force in that magnet you cannot see. But see the result? We went on and on. I stopped the Bible lesson that day, spent a whole half hour explaining the invisible things of the creation are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made. You know, there is a God in heaven, and he's left his fingerprints everywhere. Mm -hmm. The heavens declare the glory of God, the firmament showeth his handiwork. And some people say, how do you know there's a God? I say, he's left his fingerprints everywhere. The invisible things of the creation are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made. And so we have to be able to argue with them based upon what the scripture, the scripture says thus and so. If you don't believe that, then you're in trouble because you're going to go to hell because you do not believe the word of God. And so when the Lord Jesus Christ went about doing all the good that he did, three and a half years, he preached throughout the land of Palestine, he healed the sick, raised the dead, gave uh, sight to the blind, hearing to the deaf, made the lame to walk, I'll look at John 12, 37. Now, I wasn't planning on this, but this was read this morning. Someone, you guys threw that in there. I didn't know you were going to even do that this morning, but that was good. I'm glad you put that in there. We'll include that in the message this morning. Incidentally, I've got that there as a part of the message, but I wasn't planning on using it. So it's your fault. Okay. John 12, 37, but though he had done so many miracles before them, yet they believed not on him. Like I said before, my mind's made up already. Don't confuse me with the facts. People do not want the facts. They do not want the truth. Why? Because it demands a change to align with the truth and the facts. They did not like what they were seeing, and so they said, you know, in their heart they knew that that was the Messiah, Jesus was the saviour, but they were not going to admit that because that would be an admission of, we're wrong. We have to accept him. And they would not do that. When Jesus raised Lazarus there from the grave, John chapter 11, what did they say? The religious leaders looked on They didn't say, oh, glory, he's got to be the Messiah. Look, he's raised a man from the dead after four days. No, they didn't say that. What did they say? We've got to get rid of him and get rid of the evidence. Let's get rid of Lazarus too because he's the walking, living proof of the Saviour and his power. See, people don't want to know the truth. People don't want to know the facts. They don't believe what God says in his word. And that's been the problem right from the very outset of time. Even when uh, Jesus walked the streets, the Sadducees, the Pharisees, in the synagogues, in the temple, they would question him. They would throw doubt on who he is. John 1, 12, uh, 1, 11, he came unto his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. There were many people that accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as their saviour. Joseph of Arimathea, Nicodemus. I mean, Nicodemus came, and he said to Jesus by night, I said to the kids, why did Nicodemus come to Jesus by night? They said, you know what, he was scared. People had find out he'd been to Jesus. 
I said, you know, he knew who Jesus was because they'd been talking. I believe Joseph and Nicodemus and some of the other Pharisees had been talking about, you know, this is the fellow we've been telling the people about. We've been teaching when the Messiah comes, he will do this and this and this. And Jesus fits the bill of everything that we've been teaching them. So Nicodemus says, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles except God be with him. So Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea, they were beginning to see the light, they were beginning to join the dots, and Jesus said, you must be born again. It's like Cornelius. You read the book of Acts chapter 10, there wasn't a man of good a character in Caesarea or anywhere else in the land of Palestine like Cornelius. I mean, he was a great man, but he was lost. He believed in God, he feared God with all of his house, uh, he prayed to God always, the Bible says. We know he read his Bible. We know he cared about people. He gave much uh, out of compassion to those who had need. Look, if you could get to heaven through good works, Cornelius uh, would have gone to heaven through good works. And God would have said, you know, you don't need to be saved. You're already saved because of all your goodness. You know what God said? Cornelius, there's not a man like you, but there's one problem. You don't know my son. He said, send down a jumper and get Simon Peter to come up and tell you how to be saved. Now, God didn't sit down and run him through the Romans road and say, I want you to trust me. God's method is men. So he said, send down a jumper and get Simon Peter up here and he will tell you how to be saved. Incidentally, Cornelius was around when the apostles were preaching. He heard the gospel. And he was a famous, he was a famous Roman. But you know, he hadn't gotten saved through the preaching of God's word, but he had come to a belief in the true and living God through the Jewish people. He was not worshipping the emperor as God, so he'd abandoned his paganism as a Roman, and so he's on his march to find the truth. And so, the word memorial, thy prayers have come up as a memorial before God. That's what he was told. Two people in the New Testament where that word is used. Cornelius is one, and he's a lost man. The other person is the lady who took the Lord Jesus and uh, took care of him there and, you know, bathed his feet and put the oil, uh, the perfume of spike note on him. What did Jesus say? Everywhere that the gospel is preached, this story will be told of what she has done for me as a memorial. Two people. One's a saved person, one's a lost person. But, you know, he's not going to get into heaven because he prays God, he fears God, he gives money and cares for the people. He must trust Christ. So he had to believe the gospel in order to be saved. You know, today, people must believe the gospel in order to be saved. Uh, people are not going to go to heaven because they see the, uh, the Saviour or God revealed in the stars. Romans 10 teaches us they must hear the gospel in order to be saved. And that's why we have to tell them. But as we go through the scripture here, they didn't believe what he said. That's been the problem right throughout from the time of Adam right up until today and even beyond. In the time of the tribulation, there will be the two witnesses and 144,000 and there will be people that still will not believe. They will know that the judgment of Almighty God is falling on the earth and they will reject the truth even then. And uh, like it says, they will call on the rocks and the mountains to call on them and to hide them to the wrath of him that sits upon the throne. My friend, the end of the message today is, if you're here and you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ as your saviour, hey, this is real. This is true. 
Everything God says in here is going to be fulfilled right down to the finest minute detail. And um, I've taught the kids in the public school system, you know that the word of God is true because God says this is going to happen and a year later it happens. I was just reading about Ahab and Jezebel. My goodness, how accurate that is. And God says, you know, the dogs are going to eat Jezebel by the wall of Jezreel. And they said, and the place where the dogs licked the blood of Naboth, they're going to lick the blood of Ahab. And you read through the scriptures there in the book of Kings, and I tell you what, that is fulfilled. Right down to the finest minute detail. You better believe God, because God says it, therefore it's true. doesn't matter whether you believe it or not. It's still true. That's why we say, you better believe it. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your son and thank you for your word. And we're thankful that we have the word of God that we can turn to. We know that for centuries, millennia, the word of God has been preached. And so often people just reject the truth of God's word, the facts and the evidence. And they would rather believe a lie than the truth. So, Father, I pray that people would be convicted of their lost condition and their need to be saved and to humble themselves and believe the Word of God. Speak to hearts in these closing moments of our invitation hymn today. And if there's one here that's not, not saved, I pray that you'd save that one today. If there's one here that's wayward, I pray that you'd get hold of that one and bring them back close to you. Speak to hearts in this invitation in Jesus' name. Amen. Brother, thank you so much.